are continuing our sermon series looking at First Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, you can open those up, open up your apps. You can also, they'll be on the screens uh, behind me. And uh, um, if I ever hear you guys getting overly excited during my message, I don't always turn around and look at these, but I found out uh, someone was able to overtake the, the computer, the, the TVs behind me. Um, there's no football games on right now, so you guys shouldn't, I shouldn't have to worry about that, but, uh, they took them over, so if I turn around and see you guys excited about something, I know that it's probably not the message. Um, but, uh, we'll have all of the, uh, the scriptures will be, uh, on the screens behind me as well. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about many life experiences and, and the excitement and the joy that came along with um, those times. And uh, I thought back uh, to uh, one of them that really came to my mind was uh, the day that I married Teresa. It was an exciting day, um, and I remember the joy and all of that, but um, I had a bet with my uncle. He was my best man, and he said, you're going to cry. And I said, nope, not going to do it. He was like, I know you, you're going to cry. I said, I won't. He goes, I bet you. I bet you 50 bucks that you're going to cry. And I said, okay, bet. I'm standing there. Teresa turns and to come down the aisle, and right as she turns the corner, tear flows down my eye, and he goes, cha-ching. Like, the whole service heard him do that, too. Um, so then I had to explain the story of why he did that. So anyways, um, but that was one of those just exciting days for me. I remember the birth of my children. And how exciting that was. Justin, uh, it was planned that uh, the day we were going to go in and she was going to be induced. So we were able to prepare for that day. We were able to be packed. Everything was ready to go. And that was an exciting, joyful day as Justin came into the world. Uh, Jaden, a little bit different. Um, she decided um, without telling any of us, hey, here I come. And, uh, we, we made it to, um, the hospital in time. And uh, I remember Teresa, it was 11 o'clock at night. I was sitting out on the couch watching TV and she comes out dressed and I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I thought maybe we would be going to the hospital tonight. And I said, okay, um, are you having contractions? And she goes, um, I think, and I said, well, let's time them. They were three minutes apart. Um, yeah, so we quickly got into the vehicle and made it there and out she comes. Um, and uh, I remember standing there again, all of this exciting things happening. But then there was that moment where I hear the nurses that are tending to her right behind where I'm standing. Um, I'm up at Teresa's head and Jaden's right back here. And I hear him say she's not breathing. And I'll never forget the fear. I almost passed out when I heard him say that. And she had swallowed some of the fluid. Um, and uh, But everything was good. Obviously, she's still here. And all, all, all was just great. But I remember just that fear that went along with that joy and excitement. When uh, we went to Israel, 2012, Teresa and I got to spend a couple of weeks over in Israel. And, and that excitement of being there was so amazing. And one of the other big things for me was when I got to actually go to an Ohio State Michigan game. Um, we, I, I had the opportunity to go to one of these games. I've been to one. I won't go to any more. Um, it was crazy packed, 110,000 people uh, in the stadium. You know, you sit like this. I was like this at that point. Um, but I, it was cramped. It was crazy. It was exciting. But all of those exciting moments fail in comparison to 
the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The victory that we have through Jesus Christ is better than any victory over the Wolverines. The salvation that we have is better than being in any stadium ever. Friends, whatever you think is the ultimate experience, that ultimate high, that that one thing that you must do in life, nothing compares to what salvation will be like in eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even though uh, many of these experiences um, are awesome that I've talked about, or you can think right now you're thinking about some of those things, they fail in comparison. Whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever struggle you're going through right now, we've been talking about in First Peter that, yes, we're strangers, yes, we're aliens, but as we've been talking about, there's nothing better than the joy that we have in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Last week we learned that trials are meant to fortify us when we're able to remember that they're temporary, timely, terrible, and transforming. It's easy to lose perspective when we're going through problems. So that's exactly what Peter wants us to do. He wants to get our focus back on to eternal matters. And so before we get into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we're going to look at three points. Salvation was predicted by the prophets, proclaimed by the apostles, and prized by the angels. So let's read this uh, together. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched in, and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been, uh, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things in which angels long to look. So let's break this down and let's look at how it was prophesied by or predicted by the prophets. I believe there's at least five things that we can take, uh, from the prophets for today. Number one, they diligently studied the, they diligently studied salvation. Verse 10 says that they searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11 says that they inquired. They were inquiring. Now this word implies an intensity. It was used of, of miners who intensely dug for gold. It was that dog who wanted to find its toy. And they were going to do whatever they could to find that toy. Bailey, our dog, she loves to play with her tennis ball. And you can tell when the baby has taken the tennis ball and hid it in her toys. And Bailey goes crazy because she knows where it's at, but she can't get to it. And she goes absolutely nuts trying to get to it. Or if you've ever watched Live PD, you can watch those drug-sniffing dogs. And they go after the backpack. They go inside of the car. And then they try. They're going to do whatever they can to intensely find those drugs. And that is the word that is used here. That they intensely searched to understand. I think there's a, a great example of this. Probably the clearest example of this is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. 
And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, what we see here is that Daniel wanted to study the scriptures. Daniel wanted to know when the exile was going to end. He wanted to be able to tell the Israelites, the Israelites had been taken into captivity. They had been put into Babylon. And there was going to be a time frame that was placed on it. And Daniel wanted to know what that time frame was going to be. So we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He intently studied the scriptures so he could understand what was going to happen. And if the prophet studied salvation, it tells us that we should as well. We need to understand the Old Testament. There's a lot of people that they go, well, I only need the Gospels because those four books are what talk about Jesus. Well, I only need to read the New Testament because that's about grace and truth and love and that's about Jesus. Old Testament is this vengeful, mean God. So I don't want to read about that, but what we read from the prophets here is that they studied them. Paul studied them. Peter studied the prophets, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Secondly, their their prophecies dealt with coming grace. And this is what I was just talking about. Look at the last part of verse 10. Who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They prophesied about a grace that was to be ours. Now that's important for us to be able to understand. Because the prophets knew, they're the ones that understood the law, they studied the law, there was all of these laws that they had to keep, but even the prophets understood that it wasn't just about rule following, it was about grace, that we are saved by grace, not by any works that we could do, but we're saved by what Jesus Christ did, and they were, all of the scriptures, they understood, the prophets understood that they were pointing to Christ. It's God's mercy, not our merit. And to really understand this, Peter uses the word. And again, I've asked you on several occasions just to read through. While we're doing this study, I want you to read through once a week. I want you just to read through 1 Peter. It's 105 verses. Just read through it. And what you'll be able to find is on 10 occasions, Peter uses this word, grace. Number three, they tried to figure out who the Christ was and when he would be coming. The prophets from Moses to Malachi knew that God was going to send a savior. They weren't really for sure when, they weren't for sure how, they weren't really for sure all of the situation, but they knew that it was going to happen, that he was going to be coming. We read this in verse 11, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 shows that the prophecy spoke of a, a coming person in the future. But, but they didn't contain a specific timeline. This is what we read in Numbers chapter 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crutch the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Are you aware that there are over 300 prophecies, 300 predictions about the coming of Christ and what Christ would do while he was on this earth? 
over 300 in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to read all 300 to you here this morning. That'd take us a while. Um, but I want to give you a top 10 list. Uh, we're going to hear, we hear a lot about these during Christmas that's going to be coming up very soon. As we lead into Easter, we're going to hear about other prophecies that we're going to look at. Here's a top 10 list of prophecies that are in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus. Isaiah 7:14 that he would be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah 9, 9, that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah eleven twelve says that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53, verse 5, that Jesus would be wounded and bruised. Psalm 22, verse 16, that his hands and feet would be pierced. Isaiah 53, verse 12, that he would be crucified with thieves. Psalm 22, verse 18, that his garments would be be torn apart and cast lots for them. Zechariah 12, 10, that Jesus would be pierced. And Psalm 16, verse 10, love this one, that he would rise from the dead. It's fascinating. You read through um, the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 9 through 11, Paul quotes over 20 scriptures, Old Testament prophecies from eight different books of the Old Testament. You see, they studied and understood the Old Testament. It tells us again that we cannot ignore it. It is a part of our history and we need to make sure that we are studying it as well that it all is interconnected number four they knew that christ would suffer first and glory would follow somehow these messengers of god learned from the spirit of christ that suffering would be involved before victory would come verse 11 says when he predicted the suffering of christ and the subsequent glories there had to be suffering we have a hard time with our Savior suffering, don't we? We have a hard time picturing that. But here's the thing. Those 12 that were closest to Jesus, who had heard him speak and preach on numerous occasions, they had a hard time with it as well. They had a really difficult time. They heard Jesus say, I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to suffer and I'm going to be killed. And they said, no, 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 you don't. What's he talking about? Peter actually tried to step in and get in the way of Jesus. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. You see, they were understanding the Old Testament prophecies that he would, that the Messiah would come out of the line of David. Well, Jesus came out of the line of David. David. And through all of that, he was going to set up this earthly kingdom because that's what David did. And he was going to rule in Jerusalem. Yeah, okay, Jesus, you want to go to Jerusalem. That's awesome. But it's to set up an earthly kingdom, not to die. That's why they went and hid once Jesus was taken captive and he went before his trials and was going to be crucified, it was why they went and hid, because all of a sudden, their hopes and dreams were dashed. They were right there with him, and they still missed it. We have a hard time with our our Savior suffering. 
But what Peter eventually was able to understand and what we have to understand is that he had to suffer. It was prophesied that he would suffer first. But because of his suffering, glory would then ensue. The two, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they ended up having a post-resurrection Bible study with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24, um, Jesus actually brings up these two themes of suffering and glory coming together. Uh, we read there, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, if Jesus suffered, we need to be prepared to suffer as well. We must be prepared that suffering will come our way. The Savior went through it. The prophets suffered. The apostles, they suffered. We need to be prepared to suffer as well. But here's the thing. Glory is coming. An eternal glory that far outweighs anything that we would have on this earth. And then lastly, they knew that their prophecies were for future generations. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They didn't receive what they had given their lives for. They had given up everything to be able to give these prophecies for us even to hear today. You see, they were giving it for future generations. They were starting to leave a legacy. They knew that they needed to leave a legacy. We have been called to leave a legacy as well for those future generations. What are we, what, what are we leaving behind in this life for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great grandchildren? What is it that we are leaving behind? Proverbs 13, 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. What are we leaving for the next generation? As a church, what are we leaving for that next generation? What are we setting up to where this church will be here in Stafford, Virginia for years to come? One, two, three generations later, ten generations later. What are we doing to establish that as long as we are still here on this earth that this church will remain speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. For some of you, you're only here for a very short time. You're kind of just passing through. It's just another station as you move to get to retirement. And you say, well, I'm only going to be there for three years. I'm only going to be there for two years. I'm only going to be there for six or nine months. So what's the point? The point is, you may never, you may never see the fruit of your labor, but you can still be a part of the labor. You can still be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And that is what we have all been called to do. To seek, to lead, to deploy, to make sure that this church is here for the generations to come. I talked about this in the first service and, uh, make, because you're going to be a part of it. At the end of this service, we're going to have a baptism. A young man by the name of Sam is going to be giving his life over to Christ. He's going to be washed in the blood. He's going to be washed in the water. 
It's not the physical outside cleaning. It is the inside cleaning, the newness of life that is coming to him. It is awesome, and you're going to be a part of that. And you can continue to be a part of his story and his life if you just connect with him, if you serve in Lisa's area, if you serve in Chris's area. Eventually, you serve in in Jared's area of the youth group. You can be a part of his future glory as he grows in Christ. That is what we have been called to do as a family, to be connected with one another. So salvation was predicted by the prophets. And secondly, salvation was proclaimed by the apostles. It was proclaimed by the apostles. Look at the next part of verse 12. It says, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. We see two things that they did. They preached the gospel and they did so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter was able to be a part of that and Peter was able to write what he wrote because he was one of those apostles that received the power. He was there on Pentecost. He was there the day that the Holy Spirit came on those apostles and they were able to speak the message. And as they did, at the end of that message, over 3,000 were added to the number that day. The church exploded Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just the preaching. It wasn't just man-made language. It was the Holy Spirit and the power living inside of them. And because of that, it didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. It's made its way all the way to Stafford, Virginia. It continues to spread the gospel message because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit empowers, incredible things happen. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five, Paul says, for our, our, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter two, verse four says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Every Sunday morning, I come up here and I sit. Now, first service, I actually had to do it in the back because everything happened really fast. But one of the prayers that I always make sure that I pray is, Lord, speak through me. Humble me. Let me decrease so you may increase. Let these not be my words, but your words. You know, I can tell you a lot of jokes and and you may remember that story that I told about Ohio State or you may remember a story that I told about Chick-fil-A and, you know, you'll remember some of those things. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that speaks to your heart. It's his word that is able to get inside. And that's not me. That's him. When I'm standing in the back and it's like, Travis, you're kind of stepping on my toes this morning. Did you direct that sermon at me? No, not a bit. But the Spirit did. You know, if I ever try to direct a sermon at a certain person, that person will go, that was a good message. Didn't affect me, though. (laughs) No, I just, I, I preach. Most of the time I'm preaching to myself whenever I preach these messages. But the Holy Spirit takes this message and he speaks to each one of you individually in only that way. 
And one of the things that we read here is that they preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we read here is by power. It is power in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That you will receive dunamis power. Dynamite, explosive power. Have you ever just had that feeling where when, when you're speaking, when you're talking to somebody, it is just explosive you, you just, you're getting so excited and the joy just, it, it can't be contained. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that is speaking through you. A.W. Tozer once said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. He said, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. You know, there's times that I ask myself, if the Holy Spirit stopped showing up here, would we know? Or would we just continue on with our programs and our service and our singing like it never even mattered. Would we know if the Spirit was lacking? We need to make sure that we know that answer. Salvation was predicted by the prophets. It was preached by the apostles. And there's one more stunning aspect. Salvation is prized by the angels. Salvation is prized by the angels. You know, we live in a culture that is fascinated with angels, right? We have, we have shows about them. We read books about them. We're like, oh, angels. I have a guardian angel. Oh, yeah, well, I have three. I need it. We all want to talk about angels. And as fascinated with angels as that we can be as human beings, do you realize that they're just as fascinated with us? Verse 12, the end says, things into which angels long to look. The word long is sometimes translated as desire and is very strong. It means to long after, to have a passionate or intense desire. In Luke chapter 22, verse 15, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have longed. I have desired intensely to eat this meal one last time with you, Jesus says. Long to look also refers to standing on your tippy toes. Have you ever tried to see something and you can kind of see it when you're flat, but if you just get, you can see it here, but this is so much better because you can see it even better. It can also mean to, to get down and to, 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 to really get down Golfers, do we have any golfers here? A couple of you? Okay. You, you get into golf, okay, or if you watch um, on TV. I, I, I look at the putt and I'm like, yeah, it kind of breaks a little bit. All right, let's go. You know, and I just hit it and hope that it goes near the hole, you know, and we play best ball, so it's okay. Um, but you watch those serious golfers. They get down and they, they're, they're longing for that hole. 
Yeah, okay, it looks like it, it goes up about five feet and it breaks to the right, but right before the hole, it, it, it goes back to the left. Oh, wait, there's a squirrel hair right there in the way. I got to get that out of the way. You know, it might move my ball. You know, but they're, they're intensely paying attention to every little minute detail that might make the ball go off of that trajectory. But this longing, it's a, it, it's a desire to get up on your tiptoes, to, to stoop down, to be able to intensely see something. It's the same word that is used when John stooped down into the tomb to get a better view. When they made it to the tomb, Jesus should have been in the tomb, right? Mary goes back to the disciples and says, they've taken Jesus, he's gone. And Peter and John, they rush out of the locked room. They, they just push the door open and they run. And we read there that John was the youngest one, so he made it there first. And he just waited outside. Peter kind of flew right by him to get right in to see it. But it says there that, that John stooped down to look inside the tomb. He had to get a closer look. It was intently looking with a desire. Permit me to go back to the OSU-Michigan game one last time. You don't have to permit me. I'm going to do it anyways. Um, but I'll never forget as I, as, as I went to that game, the intensity that was there. Because at the time, Michigan was number four. They, they were ranked and if we didn't beat them, one, it was just bad because Ohio State has to beat Michigan. Um, and we had been on a losing streak at that point. I'm just, just tell you. It, it, and we had lost several times to them, but we, everything was on the line. We had to win and you could just feel the intensity of that moment. And here comes Ohio State out onto the field. And as they come out, the fireworks go off. And I mean, you could just feel that joy and that intensity of everything that was going on. That I was on the edge of my, my seat I, the whole game. I was standing most of the game, looking over, peering down onto the field to see everything that happened. That's exactly what the angels do. They are longing to look at what we're doing. And that's so important for us to be able to understand. Here are four angelic episodes when the angels long to look into God's unfolding plan. They sang at creation in, in Job 38 verse 7. It says, the angels rejoiced as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. At the birth uh, of the announcement of Jesus... In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was the, there was the, there with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And as they praise around the throne in Revelation chapter 5, we read, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I saved this one for last, though. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Man, the angels throw a party when one of us are saved. 
Jesus says, likewise, I say to you, there is the joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What about you? Here's the question. Since the prophets prophets predicted and the apostles proclaimed and the angels prized salvation, how can we possibly be bored with God? How could we ever be bored with salvation? I wonder what the angels think when they look down and they see us living half-hearted, spiritually sleepy lives. What they must thinking when they see us ignoring salvation. Friends, when you're suffering, I want you to lock into your salvation. The problem is that many times we just forget. We forget what it means to truly have that joy and what that joy will be like in heaven for all of eternity. That's the first part of our vision is to seek Jesus, to come together, to be surrounded by our family. To partake in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do here in just a moment. And as we prepare uh, to take the Lord's Supper, I have three questions I want to ask you. Number one, are you saved? Have you given your life over to Jesus Christ? I usually save this one till after communion and I talk about it in the invitation, but are you saved? We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. It's a straightforward question with a straightforward answer. Are you born again? Are you saved? If you don't know the answer to that during communion, you can find me. I'll I'll stand in the back and... If you've never accepted him and you need to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about it. I can talk to you about it after service, but make sure that you're saved. Secondly, are you bored? Are you bored? I want you to confess that spiritual boredom. Ravi Zacharias has said, when man is bored with God, even heaven does not have a better alternative. In Luke 10, 24, Jesus wanted to shake up the religious people with all of their ritualistic ideas. He wanted them to be in awe of what was standing right before them. So this is what Jesus said. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to seek what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Desire to seek after Jesus. Find him. Find that joy. Number three. Ask God to restore you to the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51 verse 12. David wrote, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I can remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. I remember the day as I was talking with my uncle and as we drove to the church, he had an old blue Corsica that we were driving in. 
and he and I were having a conversation, I remember getting nervous. I remember of talking with him about salvation and what that looked like and, and, and then going into the church, going up the long staircase to get to where the baptistry was. Oh, I remember that. That joy that I felt, the butterflies that I felt in all of that. I want you to remember that joy. Ask God to restore it to you. As we prepare to partake in communion, I have one last scripture I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I want you to ponder the past. Proclaim his death. That's what we read in verse 26. I want you to focus on the future because he is coming again, but we continue to take this cup until he comes. But I also want you to reflect on the present because that last verse says that we are called to examine ourselves. We have a station in the front. We have two on the sides, two in the back. I'm going to pray and as we continue just to have music playing behind us, you can get up and and you can, when you're ready, take communion on your time whatever wherever you find yourself right now I want you to let everything else go let that boredom get out of your mind don't be thinking about what you're going to do after service is over I want you to think pray about what this means to you as we partake of communion let's pray Gracious Father, I thank you so much for the death of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that he lived for us, that he came to this earth. And Father, he suffered many horrible things. But Lord, he did it for each one of us who are in this room today. And Father, as we partake of this bread and this juice, we are reminded of that ultimate sacrifice. But Father, to remember that it points to the future glory that we have, the joy and the excitement of knowing that we have eternity with you. Father, thank you for that gift. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Everybody's moving. Everyone is going somewhere. Everything they're trying Just to make it To a place where I am not there But when the noise is over Still small voice you will hear I hope that you believe me When I tell you 
I will handle all of your cares. Just wait on me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Just trust and know that I am God. And I'm in control. next star But if it's the attention that you really want then I already know who you are and I love you that way When the noise is over A still small voice you will hear To get to where I'm calling you Calling you, calling you Just to give me your faith and be still And wait on me Be still and know that I am God Be still and know that I am God Just trust and know that I am God And I'm in control As I've said, uh, we already have one young man who is uh, going to be giving his life to Christ, and uh, that's so awesome uh, to know. But uh, if you are here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, if you aren't for sure whether you've been born again, today can be that day that you make that decision. And so I'm going to be in the back, and uh, a couple of the elders will be in the back with me. 
If you need someone uh, just to talk to, to, to walk through what that means to give your life over to Him, you can come to the back and you can talk with us. If you need prayer in your life, there's some of these things that we've been discussing that you're struggling with. Maybe it is that spiritual boredom. Travis, how do I fight that? What, what does that look like to get through it? Maybe it's one of those times of suffering and trials that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. I know you say that they're only supposed to be for a short time, but it feels like they're just going on and on and on and on and on. How do I get through it? If you need to talk with someone or uh, need someone just to listen to you, we'll be in the back and I would love to, to talk with you or just to listen, to pray with you, whatever that looks like. Will you make your decision as we continue our worship? Please stand.